if we liberals and Democrats want to win, we should just forget about Trumpists, right? Ooh, not so fast. I'm Bert Cohen. With your help, we are keeping democracy alive. I doubt there's any Democratic participant in politics who in the last five years or so hasn't heard his or her colleagues dismiss all Trumpists as being just plain dumb and far beyond any hope of coming back to sanity. The conventional wisdom is that to win elections, we who are at all left of center need to just forget about them. Forget about those people who live in the less densely populated areas. There's a lot more of us than them, after all. They're mostly white, working-class men who are not highly educated, and they hate everything we're for. So why even think about bothering with them, spending energy on that? Well, a strong argument can be made that that line of thinking is, in fact, a sure way to lose. Even recent history shows that this white working class so many liberals reject as being a waste of time used to be the solid base of the Democratic Party. Republican politicians used to be seen as serving the rich and powerful, while we Democrats were, for decades, known rightly as dependable advocates for the working class. How did Trump grab them from us? The lines of division are now so clearly drawn, why even bother? Well, the answer is because we must. Our guest today, Robin A. Johnson, argues that it's an incredibly short-sighted to give up on this large demographic. He notes that while Democrats representing heavily rural, small-town, uh, and suburban white working-class districts have been getting wiped out in recent cycles, a number have survived and even thrived. Toward this end, Johnson has written an article in the Washington Monthly titled, How Democrats Can Win in White Working-Class Districts, the subtitle is, let them control their own messages and give them the resources they need. Robert A. Johnson is our guest today on Keeping Democracy Alive. Robin, thanks so much for being with us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Robin Johnson is a political governmental relations consultant, part-time professor, and radio show host. Robin has served as consultant or manager for dozens of state and local campaigns across the Midwest. Ooh, the Midwest. <laughs> His ex expertise is in strategy, message, polling, and communications. He's helped candidates win elections for Congress. What a concept, winning the state legislature, judiciary, and local government. He served as alderman in Monmouth, Illinois for one term. And I'll tell you, local politics, boy, that's some tough stuff. It's really important, though. Johnson has a BA in government from Monmouth College and a master's degree in public administration from uh, Western Illinois University's part-time lecturer in the political science department at Monmouth College. He also hosts a weekly public affairs radio program called Heartland Politics, which is aired on WVIK radio in the Quad Cities. Well, again, thanks for being with us, Robin. My, my friends in the Democratic Party, some of them, fewer and fewer, slowly, but some of them have never given up on their argument that, well, in 2016, Hillary Clinton was demonstrably 
the most qualified of the two party nominees. Well, factually, that's correct. <laughs> Let me ask, Robin, what did that matter to majorities in white working class districts, the fact that she was the most qualified? Well, in our democracy, we don't vote based on the most qualified candidate. Uh, if that was the case, uh, I think there'd be a lot different, a lot of in instances of different winners in our in our history. Um, you could make the argument John McCain, John McCain was more qualified to be president than Barack Obama. Ah. So, um, I, I, I it, unfortunately, it doesn't have much to do with <laughs> things. Uh, it, it it comes down to in a lot of areas how people perceive their leaders, whether they have their interests at heart or not, and whether they're listening to them. And um, unfortunately, there were some um, errors made in that campaign, I think, by the Clinton campaign and ignoring some areas in the Midwest here that were, I think, winnable, or at least she could have done better on it wound up costing her the election. So, um, uh, it, 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 you know, I think most people feel that if you're running for, for president, you're automatically qualified and I, I, so they, that's not how voters do things. They don't sit down and look at qualifications yeah. going back and forth. They're listening to, to, to see which candidate has their interests at heart and which one is truly seems like they're listening to them. I, I find that to be the case myself. And while the Democratic Party in the 19th century was quite blatantly the party of racists, today, if one is a racist, one certainly has a home in the Republican Party. Now, it's true, uh, not all Republicans are racist, but eh, all, re all racists are Republicans. White supremacy is not the only reason working class people vote Republican. For sure, it's not the only reason. What are the factors you think we should be aware of that so effectively peeled working class people away from the Democratic Party in 2016? Well, it's interesting. I got a, I was asked to do uh, an analysis on the radio of the 2016 results the day after the election. Oh, like most people, I was assuming, oh. ah, you know, Hillary's going to win this. Right. And, uh, um, you know, so I was preparing. And as the night wore on, it looked like that wasn't going to be the case. So it threw off everything I had prepared. <laughs> what I did was kind of look start at, at uh, you know, the wee morning hours. I was looking at the results from counties throughout the Midwest. And what really struck me was um, in Iowa, for example, which voted for Obama twice, there were a string of counties along the Mississippi River, factory town type counties, blue collar counties that formerly had manufacturing plants, union workers where that were um, hit by uh, tr due to trade agreements, shut down factories or downsized. Uh, these counties flipped uh, to Donald Trump, of all things. Uh, and as I kept looking around, there was that commonality in a lot of counties that I was aware of that went from voting for Obama twice to Trump. That told me intrinsically that race was not the issue here. Now, I'm not saying it played zero role, right. but I think anybody that says it was the only reason is just as wrong as those who say it played no role. Right. Um, that being said, I think there were economic reasons. Donald Trump spoke up against trade agreements, uh, said he would... Uh, tear them up, uh, that we've done a terrible job um, in writing trade agreements. And with a lot of people out in this area, these areas, he was he was uh, singing their tune. I, I listened to him during the campaign on satellite radio. He was giving a speech in Michigan. And I found myself attracted to his message on trade and infrastructure. There were people who felt like uh, the Obama administration 
weren't listening to them on trade. There were people who who tied Hillary's husband, Bill, to NAFTA, which is still a dirty word in a lot of these communities. So um, I guess to, to, to not belabor it, um, I, I'm not saying race had no role, but there was certainly more factors at play, including economics. And I think uh, I, I do think there's there are cultural reasons uh, as well where people feel sometimes that change certain changes uh, in our country. Social changes are happening a little too fast. And that was playing a role as well. And that certainly has been ramping up ever since then. Uh, the, the, yes. the whole culture war thing, the, the change. And and you were talking about a change that affected uh, the Midwest in a not particularly good way. Jobs left. That's a big change. Right. People yep. don't like that kind of change when their jobs leave. They got, you know, and that's a huge factor. And how the, it amazes me how Democrats could not get that and just not listen to that. But we're going to get into that for sure. And no, I mean, and they were told basically a 50 year old uh, white male uh, after his job is outsourced overseas is told you either have to move somewhere else to get a job or you have to go back to school to become a nurse. Um, and that's what they're told. Wow. And and uh, you can see why people didn't react well to that. And whether the, the point wasn't whether Trump was going to actually bring jobs back. I mean, I think we can look back and say that wasn't the case. Right. He. I, in fairness, I think he renegotiated NAFTA, which was probably more favorable to the country. But the bottom line is they weren't hearing anything from the Clinton campaign about this issue. Um, absolutely amazing how they could be so deaf. It just and again, you know, Democrats say, oh, just forget about the Trump voters. Oh, yeah. contraire. I hear it a lot here in the Northeast. I don't know. I, I, I hope you don't in your area because we it, we can't. Oh, I hear it. It's a one-way ticket to permanent minority status uh, in in in, uh, in the U.S. Senate and in many state legislatures. I mean, Iowa's legislatures flipped, and they've they've taken on. They now have a trifecta of Republican control of the governor's office in both houses, and they've implemented uh, the the Republican agenda. A lot of folks find it extreme. That's what happens. Ohio is the same way. That's what happens. There's consequences, and if we can't overcome this. Um, I, I mean, it's it, again, we're just going to be in permanent minority status in a lot of key states in the U.S. Senate and Electoral College is ah. razor thin as well. And we cannot afford to forget about the Electoral College. And I talked a little bit earlier on about the Democratic Party in the 19th century. Well, the Republican Party in the 19th century out in that part of the world uh, had what they call prairie populists, which were mm -hmm. very popular. Uh, right. <laughs> and how, why were they so popular? What, what was that all about? Well, they, they were, they were uh, uh, standing up for the little guy. I mean, it is amazing how the parties have changed. I'm reading a biography of James Garfield, one of our oh. most obscure presidents, oh. assassinated. It's an ex excellent book. Um, how he was very pro-emancipation and for equal rights. Uh, I didn't realize all this about him. I mean, the Republican Party was really uh, progressive back in uh, the post-Lincoln era and, and, and a lot, on a lot of issues. And the Democrats had their base in the South and were more racist. I don't think there's any question about that. But uh, it started to change in the early 1900s with William Jennings Bryan, uh, who's a fundamentalist Christian, by the way. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to know more about those views, just watch um, To inherit, inherit the Wind with Spencer Tracy. I just saw uh, that the other day, as a matter of fact. Great, Go ahead. Yeah, great, great, movie. great movie. Yeah. Uh, 
but the the prairie populace came out and listened to people and formed uh, there were party a populist party the grange party mm-hmm. uh it was based on farms uh going under due to uh severe market conditions and and uh the issue of silver which i'm not going to get into that's more right. obscure yeah but williams jennings bryan was kind of a uh, precursor to franklin roosevelt in, in, a, in a lot of ways and you saw it took time for uh, that that view, that uh, economic populist view to take over from the more conservative interests in the Democratic Party, but it finally did. Economic populism. Whoa, how do we miss that? It just it amazes me. And, and we yeah. just give it over to the Republicans. And they, yep. again, used to be, and they still really are. Uh, as somebody on this show earlier said, people, uh, if you're familiar with The Simpsons, think they're voting for Flanders, but they're really voting for uh, Mr. Burns. You know? Right. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, it was, that was good, I, I must say. And for those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. And our guest today is uh, Robin A. Johnson, political governmental relations consultant. We're talking about his piece in the Washington Monthly, How Democrats Can Win in White Working Class Districts. And there's a lot we can learn, but it's, it's you know, it's amazing to me. I, I've, I've been at Democratic Party gatherings after some tough elections, and there have been some tough elections. <clears throat> and when people there you know, looked back at, whoa, what just happened? They discussed what must be done. Inevitably, the suggestion comes up, oh, we need to go out there and educate the people. What's your Mm -hmm. reaction to that approach in the white working class districts? Yeah, it's condescending. It's basically saying they don't know what they're doing. It's like like the Thomas Frank theory that, well, they're not voting their own interests, uh, which is the biggest bunch of garbage uh, that I've ever heard. Go talk to these people. Uh, that's assuming that you know their interests better than they do. I, I live in a rural area. I talk to people. Believe it or not, sometimes they don't put their economic interests first. Uh, sometimes they feel their faith is more important. Sometimes they feel their definition of freedom is more important. And you go listen to them. And I'm not going to judge that. I may not agree with it, but I don't judge it. And I don't say, you're not voting in your own interests. I mean, I probably, you and I probably don't vote in our interests either if, if you're in a upper tax bracket where, where, where tax increases hit you. So why, how condescending, how elitist is it to go tell people you're not voting in your own interests? I know what your interests are and you should vote the way I think you should. Um, I think that's garbage. I, I, I've always felt that way. Uh, and it, it again shows an unwillingness to go listen to people and and let them uh, discuss what their interests are on their own terms and respect that. Listening and respecting. Whoa, not all, really. It's really not all that complicated. Who, no. who doesn't like to be listened to and respected? And the idea of going out there and well, educate. You, you hit the obviously the, the nail in the head. And your your article in Washington Monthly looks at a number of case studies of of Democrats breaking through and doing well in red districts. You cite Democrat Jeff Smith in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. You say his, mm-hmm. his state Senate district, quote, is emblematic of the kind of geography Democrats have been losing in recent cycles and need to get better at to avoid being wiped out electorally uh, in the upcoming elections. Do tell Democrat mm-hmm. Jeff Smith in Wisconsin. Great guy. Uh, I met him as part of some research I did working with my congresswoman, who who is now former congresswoman, Sherry Bustos, here in the 17th district in Illinois. 
if I could go back for a minute and sure. tell how this all this started. After the 16 election, uh, there were several groups, well-intentioned, that came out and interviewed people out here like we were uh, uh, laboratory rats. How, how did Trump get elected out here? Uh, and it was folks from the coast, not up in the Northeast, but you know what I'm talking about, the Beltway, um, yeah. and interviewing about how did, how did you vote for Trump? And Congressman Bustos and I decided to look at this at the state legislative level. Uh, who survived here uh, during the, the Trump era? Who survived and how were they winning? As all these rural districts, were, we, we were just decimated in rural America starting in 2010. Um, so we did, uh, I, I went out and did a, uh, interviewed um, over 70 uh, of these individuals, current and former Democrats representing rural and working class districts, and got kind of a how-to guide, and we published a report on it. Uh-huh. Um, as part of those efforts, Jeff Smith is one of the people I spoke with. He represents a rural Wisconsin district. And it was really interesting to hear him and others talk in their own words about how they need to win. You don't need to hire a slick consultant from a big city to tell you how to talk to people. Um, I'm repulsed by that. To me, if you need help on your message, you're not knocking enough doors. You're not listening to people, what they're saying and how they're saying it. Um, Jeff Smith drives an old beat up red truck. He parks it on the side of the road. He takes a handmade sign and, it, and puts it out and says, come and talk uh, with your Senator, Jeff Smith. And people stop by the roadside and talk to him. That may sound 18, 17th century, 18th century campaigning, but it's very effective. And, and uh, keeping democracy alive, your show title. This, the, the, the refreshing thing that I think we need to go back to uh, is about more grassroots campaigning in order to keep it alive by going out and talking and listening to people in their areas, and especially these these rural areas. So Jeff, I mean, he, he's a fascinating, he, and he just won his re-election uh, in a tough district they drew for him. Mm-hmm. So um, again, this is the, this is how we how it can be done. The common denominator: these people worked their asses off. They knocked doors constantly. Yes. When the party took the politically correct stance during COVID and said, oh, we can't knock doors, the Republicans broke that. Um, and I knew right then we were in trouble. Uh, a lot of these people uh, broke the rules and went ahead and went out and knocked doors. They had to in order to win. Uh, they took distancing. They stayed outside, wore masks uh, in distance. Mm-hmm. But door knocking is the central part of their campaigns. And, 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 and it's, again, a breath of fresh air that maybe we can get away from the, the, the 30-second ads and the overpriced, overrated consultants and get back to, to democracy and talking and listening to our neighbors at their doors. I, I couldn't agree more. D- knocking on doors. And as, as someone said to me a while ago, and I, I suspect you'll agree with this, that if you're a politician, if you're a campaigner, and you just kind of listen to people, after the you know after the conversation, they're going to think, "Ooh, he's really smart." <laughs> Not that you say anything necessarily, but you listen to people. It makes yeah. a positive impression. And you were talking about Jeff Smith in in some I take it sort of funky uh, vehicle. I'm reminded of Paul Wellstone. Yeah. Paul Wellstone. Yeah. He was uh, how liberal as all heck. My goodness, he was left. But he did very well. What about Paul Wellstone? Before yeah, you... I mean, I I talked to some of the folks in Minnesota who still uh, reference him. 
uh, and that's his example. Uh, there's a guy, Paul Marquardt, who, who represented, he just retired after a number of years. I mean, door knocking was central to his strategy. He was a Republican district. Trump won his district. He wouldn't win otherwise. He knocked doors in off years, um, which, I, you know, in, in years he wasn't running, he was knocking doors. He was there. And you know what they find out, uh, Bert? They find out that it gives you a layer of protection when they go negative and put, do these negative ads that aren't believable um, that, that you're some left-wing socialist or whatever. Yeah. Uh, when you meet, meet somebody at the door, they think, well, wait a minute. He was at my door. He's not, you know. So it helps provide a, a veneer of protection as well against some of these negative ads. And um, our party's just gotten lazy. Let's be honest about it. We want to yeah. raise money, do a, a beautiful... 30-second TV ad, produce an announcement video. We want to write pithy little comments on Facebook, but we don't want to get out and knock doors. And we're not going to break this, especially in the rural areas, unless we do it again. I think this is healthy for our democracy in the long run. Boy, I couldn't agree more. That uh, that that approach of, oh, just raise a whole bunch of money and buy all these super slick 30-second ads, that worked so well for Hillary in 2016, didn't it? Yeah, I'm, I mean, you, look, you got to raise money. Still, I'm not oh, saying yeah. that you got to you got to raise money. Oh yeah, but I, I, I and, but you don't need to do 15 mailers. Uh, again, the door knocking is central to it, and it establishes the candidate brand. Um, a lot of these folks in rural areas establish their own brand. They don't run necessarily as Democrats as much as they run as Jeff Smith or Dar- Darren Camilleri up in M- Michigan, just won a Senate seat in a working class district. The guy with incredible work ethic. They, it's not that they run, they distance themselves, uh, you know, and say, well, I'm not a Democrat, but they, uh, what one guy told me, if he can, if he, if he knocks on the door and can get the conversation going enough before party comes up, he's got a chance. Because once they find out they're a Democrat, there's a share of them that say, get off my porch. You're a communist. Uh, but <laughs> Sorry to laugh, you can, you're right. Yeah, if they can personalize it and say, you know, and let them uh, share their values before that comes up. I mean, because the brand is just so toxic in, in these rural areas still. And some of that is, is, is uh, because of the steady drumbeat of right-wing media out here, which isn't really contested. Uh, but some of it is what Democrats have brought on themselves, quite frankly. Yeah, interesting. And how I just don't listen to it and miss the message. And this whole uh, culture war thing, it, it's, I, I do think that that's grown over time. That's my impression anyway, that, that the people you describe whose you know, jobs were shipped overseas— uh, and Bill Clinton was part of that. It's true uh, that they don't feel listened to. That their, you know, that their way of life does feel threatened. And here you have Democrats. I mean, issues I I care about, uh, you know, gay rights and you know, not attacking trans people, stuff like that. Th- that's important to me. But it loses. It doesn't connect with enough people. How can we? do both you know as you say the democratic brand has been uh, hurt really badly by talking about issues that don't connect with working class people how can we do both be you know social liberals and still connect with people is that even possible it's challenging uh in the 16 race i had several people i spoke with that were very frustrated they would knock on the doors 
And when they are identified as a Democrat, they were basically said your party cares more about bathrooms than jobs. Uh, It's when the the unisex bathroom issue uh, arose. And it's not that people are necessarily opposed to that, but I think, think, again, it's a matter of emphasis. If we keep Mm. our focus on economics and jobs, most people out there uh, right now in this age of economic turmoil are concerned about keeping a good job with health benefits. Uh, putting their kids through school, um, you know, and, and, and driving in, in, on a road that doesn't have potholes on it. I mean, that's the basics of it. Is my job going to go overseas? And while the other issues are important, they're not. That's what's on their minds. And our party too often has gotten caught up in issues, uh, again, that are that, to please our interest groups, where we're constantly talking in terms of silos instead of the mm-hmm. general public. And, and that's what the Republicans are better at. Um, and it's a matter of emphasis. I think you can be uh, liberal on social issues, progressive on social issues. Uh, but in, in these types of areas, anyway, you've got to keep focus on things people care about. That does seem to be the case. And the culture war thing, the other side, I mean, they've, they, it works well for, for the Republicans because it, there's the familiar, you know, that I have a job and then the job goes away. And Mixing in the, the the social and cultural changes that are, you know, they're they're a little bit disquieting. Uh, it we need you're right. We got to emphasize emphasize, and I, I'm I'm not sure that we're doing that particularly well. Um, and uh, I I disagree with with many of Bill Clinton's policies as president. He did win. I'll give him that. Mm-hmm. And. Being in New Hampshire, back when our primary still meant something, who knows what the future will be. Anyway, I saw him in action, and unlike so many other candidates who you could see, you know, as you're talking to to the candidate, he or she is sort of talking to you, but also physically looking around the room to see Mm -hmm. who else they should be talking to. Bill Clinton, I got to give him credit. He made one feel as if they were the only person in the room. How yep. how am, is that even realistic? I mean, knocking on doors, you can't knock on every door in this, you know, there's right. 330 million Americans now. How how important is that approach making your prospective supporter feel listened to? I think showing up is part of it. I mean, a lot uh, of people uh, a lot of people uh, I think the opinion leaders just say, "Well, you got to show up and show up." Now you, you got to show up, but you got to listen. You got to be there. You got to listen, and and understand what people are saying and respect it. Again, um, you bring up Clinton, and this is an important thing in the Democratic Party that's that's lacking in some areas. You know, I remember the great Oakland Raider teams of the 1970s, and Al Davis, the owner, his motto was "Just win, baby." And you know, uh, a lot of these people, it's about winning. And our party seems to get caught up too much in being right rather than winning. Yeah. Um, I talked to several folks in rural areas, Democrats, that are pro-life. Uh, there are those in our party who talk open tent for everything except ideology. Uh, there are those who say we don't have room for pro-life people. Mm. Well, then again, right off, right off more of these rural districts where there are Democrats who are still uh, treat their faith seriously and are mm-hmm. pro-life. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of the people we've lost in recent years are pro-life Democrats. And a lot of people in the party would celebrate that and say, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, yeah. uh, you're just cutting off more people. Then that can get elected that know their districts in order to create a majority. 
you know, the, the alarming trend that people should be worried about out here, we've lost most of the pure rural districts, the farm small towns. Those are pretty much gone. Yeah, um, really. Now we're losing the blue-collar towns, the union towns, uh, mm. the, the places I mentioned on the Mississippi River. Yeah. A lot of those are going the wrong direction as well. There are some blue-collar suburbs. Uh, Macomb County, the famous county up in Michigan, uh, is, is changing, and it's being battled right now, but it's starting to change back to Republican. We can't keep losing all these areas and just win cities and college towns. Um, and again, it comes down to winning. And if the party is seriously interested in winning, then it's going to have to change the way it operates when it gets outside of big cities. Yeah, it's, it's really, really hard to get one's agenda in gear if you don't win. You, right. you have to win. And when I, I mean, you talk about the, the pro-life anti-choice. You remember, I remember when Catholics used to be strong base of the Democratic Party. And, right. and we just, you know, eject them. That's really dumb. I'm sorry. That's really dumb. You know, I, I'm very much pro-choice, of course. But emphasis, you talk about emphasis. And I think that's what we're talking about here on Keeping Democracy Alive. Bert Cohen here. Our guest today is Robin Johnson, who has written a piece in the Washington Monthly titled How Democrats Can Win. In white working class districts, winning. Whoa, what a concept. A subtitle, let them control their own messages and give them the resources they need. And you mentioned Macomb County. Is that how you pronounce it? I'm sorry. I'm from the Northeast. I don't know. Macomb, Macomb County up outside of Detroit. Okay. You... It's it's the famous uh, Reagan Democrats County ah. that was, uh, Stan Greenberg wrote about. Reagan Democrats. Well, there's there's a guy you write about, Kevin Hertel from Macomb mm -hmm. County. Right. You say he endeavors to drill down. How does that work? Well, the consultants are hired to uh, tell candidates that uh, they can only spend so much time at the door. Uh, hi, I'm Robin Johnson. I'm running for the mm -hmm. state legislature. I'd love to have your support. Uh, and usually there's a staffer there pulling them away after a brief uh, five seconds or 10 seconds. I found a lot of these people ignore the consultants and spend a little time at the door and talk about their values, uh, not issues as much as values. And he, that's what Kevin meant. He was just elected, by the way, to a state Senate seat Excellent. Um, in, in, in that area. Uh, drill down and, and have a conversation where it's not just, you know, and again, as you said, there's pressures. You want to try to hit as many voters as possible. And I was right. schooled in that as well. Right. It's efficiency. But I think it's changing. And, and there's there's a uh, th there's a technique called deep canvassing that's been used mm. in in referendums where you have extended conversations at the doors. Um, candidates, some candidates are starting to do that in off years where uh. Uh, the time constraints aren't as critical and and allows them for more extended conversation. Um, that's what we need to be doing. Uh, and we uh, here's something else we need to be doing. Let's start training local volunteers, local volunteers. Don't send somebody in from Chicago to come and knock doors out in my area. There's enough people that are committed. Train them on how to go talk to their neighbors and do it year round. Don't, you know, the Koch brothers organization, you know, they don't turn the lights out and lock the doors the day after the election. They're going and we don't do that. We, we need a mechanism to keep everything going and keep messaging going out in these rural areas in order to compete, because right now it's one-sided. 
And and you talk about local, and, and I know well-meaning, really good-hearted people want to do everything they can to elect good Democrats across the country. They send out postcards. They make phone calls. Well, you know what? It seems to me if you're the recipient of a phone call, A, you don't like getting a lot of phone calls, but B, you can hear an accent from, say, Massachusetts if you're in Alabama. And right. <laughs> It's not going to work real well. I mean, it's, people try that, I know. But it has, as you point out, local. It's got to be local. People you know. And and going door to door, you know, you can't hit every person in a, in a country of 330 million people. But guess what? They talk. They tell other people that, hey, guess who came to my door? And guess what right. he, he or she had to say? And was I impressed with them? People talk. That's, you know... That that's one thing that uh, that absolutely works, and you talk about off year stuff. Boy, that is I I think that's so important. It's for example, it's well known among rural black voters that political candidates swoop down into their churches and barber shops just before election time. <laughs> and it's right. so transparent. And it communicates mm -hmm. not what the candidates want to. What have you learned about the importance of building lasting personal relationships in the off years? That's, that's one of the things it takes to win. That's what a lot of these candidates do. They knock doors in off years. And, and what the party needs, and it's not that expensive, Bert. It's not... You know, we, we do the same thing with radio. We go by and make a radio buy for the last three, four weeks of the campaign or eight All weeks, right. and that's it. Go go travel through the country and put on AM radio or FM radio right now. The Republican, the conservative message is on constantly. You can drive across the country and pick it up and never miss a beat. The Democrats don't have anything. Yep. Uh, it, it's, it, you know, I got a lot of good ideas listening to people. They just need some support. Do a radio station like a Did You Know uh, type thing mm. where uh, we have different speakers and not not the star-studded Washington elite. Get the Jeff Smiths talking about issues and get them talking in their own language and not this pulse-tested crap that, that you know, uh, the candidates have. Talking language people understand. That, you know, that was the thing about Trump and Bernie Sanders. They talked the way people understood it and not all this pulse-tested stuff. Um, to, newspaper ads. I mean, the, the little weekly newspapers in these small towns are cheap. And, and, uh, we were told, I remember as consultants, ah, you know, you don't have the money for that. It's like the chronicle of the town. People buy it and they look at it and they keep it and read it. Yes. Um, and the door knocking again, train local volunteers. And the other thing that, you know, to go out in off years to me right now, right now, uh, there should be plans gearing up to go out and knock uh, once the weather clears a little mm -hmm, bit, maybe mm -hmm. in an off year, and start canvassing people uh, and building those relationships and give the Democratic Party a face from a neighbor down the street. Um, the other thing we, we, we were taught is yard signs are a waste of money. Signs wow. don't vote. Well, I, I talked to a state senator in a rural district and in, in working class district in Pennsylvania who's, who said, you know, if you're in a rural area, a small town that's 70% Republican, and if one person has that sign up, it kind of gives an okay to others. Well, you know, I can put one up too. Um, that type of thing is important. B, 
because in these rural counties right now, I mean, the floor keeps dropping. It <laughs> used to be we lose 60-40. Then it was 65-35. Then it was 70-30. And it's like, how low is it going to go? Mm. Uh, it went lower. Uh, 25, there are some counties, uh, these rural counties, where Biden got under 20%. In Pennsylvania in 16, those rural counties added up, and that's how Trump won. We're not trying to win those counties necessarily as it is reduce the margins, get it from maybe getting 20% to 25% and do that over 10, 20 counties. It makes a difference. Boy, it does. Just little bits and, and keeping it up over time. You know, it's right. it, it's hard to do, but winning ain't easy. You know, you can't just, right. just as, as <laughs> the Republicans often say about Democrats, just throwing money at a problem doesn't always work you gotta listen to people and you talk about lawn signs i've i've been curious for a long time well a i wonder how if they recycled the plastic it used to be cardboard but now it's plastic but the other thing is what's your sense about simply visibility you know just plastering an area with with lawn signs i mean it does create the visibility that you got to have is there do you find that there's a difference if a lawn sign is just put in a public place versus on somebody's actual lawn on their property? What What, what are your thoughts about that? I think I think both. I mean, we we were also I was taught billboards are a waste of money. Well, just look at the census data on how many people commute to work, and they're in their uh, vehicles, and they're listening to. Uh, talk radio, which is conservative, and then they're yeah. seeing Republicans with billboards up, and we're not competing in either way. Uh, I talked to quite a few Democrats, not all, but most of the Democrats I spoke to in rural areas use billboards. Um, they have to, because the first thing you do, as you know, is to build up name recognition. Yes. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and, and the yard signs, again, it's it's a sign of ownership in a campaign. Uh, uh, you're willing to not just vote for somebody, you're willing to put your sign out in the yard and and in in some areas again in some small towns rural areas that's that are overwhelming overwhelmingly republican uh that's a sign of ownership and if one person sees it maybe others will now you don't want to make yard signs the centerpiece of your campaign i've seen that too where the candidate is out putting signs up no um but they do have a role to play they do have a role to play that's very important that may be a little different compared with more urban districts and and if if one is not going to endorse and happen, you know, if you're getting a good reception, and ask the the homeowner, is would is would it be okay if I put up a sign in your yard? Boy, that yep. ain't that ain't bad. That is not bad, and and it oh, it makes such a good impression. What about? I mean, you talked about radio out in in the rural areas. What about country music radio? Uh, I don't think that's generally a place where or Democrats decide to put their dollars. What What are the potentials there with country music radio? Honestly, that's another place where I think our our party elites are very uh, are very condescending. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned country music, and everybody turns their nose. Do some polling sometime. I mean, I in the polling I've been involved with. Uh, I've moved away from issue questions because I don't know that that's how people vote. I'll ask questions like, what kind of music do you listen to? Uh What's your favorite type of music? Um, We did a poll in a a medium-sized city in Illinois. Uh, I was helping a mayor. And the top two musical choices were Christian 
uh, Christian music and country. And the candidate was just amazed. Well, we did the down, the, the cross tabs and we saw country was appealing to people of all education levels and income groups, which surprised him. And guess who was listening to Christmas, Christian music, African-American voters. Uh-huh. Um, so we gave a very nice uh, way to target the next campaign on doing some radio ads based on that. Um, what, you know, what, t- what type of alcohol beverage do people drink? What type of vehicle do they drive? Meet people where they're at. Get to know them. I think that's almost more important in this day and age than asking what's your view on abortion. Right. Um, understand who your audience is. And, and by doing that, you can understand their values better. And when you go out and talk to them, relate to them more. And we've just passed the second anniversary of the January 6th insurrection. And of course, we saw the uh, copycat down in Priscilla, uh, which I'm glad they cracked down. Anyway, there were anniversary vigils in defense of those incarcerated from the January 6th insurrection. And I am going somewhere with this. There there are people who defend them in Colorado, Connecticut, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Pennsylvania, and Texas. There's a nonprofit called Look Ahead America by a former campaign, Trump campaign staffer, to register and educate and enfranchise disaffected citizens. That was Matt Brainard was the organizer of that. And he saw contributions to the defendants of the January 6th insurrection jump hugely in 2021. Uh, One of the organizers said, we're just trying to keep the word out, trying to make the American people know there is another side to the story that the mainstream media never tells you. And as twisted as their defense of the insurrectionists strikes me as, the fact, the to, to me, the fact that they're so powerfully motivated by politics is not nothing. I, I think it's not a good move to just ignore that. Is it not worthy of trying to figure out what drives this not insignificant sentiment? Well, I, I, I think so, yes. I think, I, I think uh, you've got to understand they look at our side and see the same thing in a lot of ways. And it, 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 and again, I'm not trying to draw an equivalence, right? But in a lot of ways, uh, the folks, uh, the the Trumpists, will look at the 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 people that voted in 2004 not to certify George W. Bush as president. There were some Democrats that are still around that did that. Um, Stacey Abrams never accepted the results of the governor's race in Georgia the first time she ran. Mm. Um, I'm not equating that, right. but I am saying that people feel that there is a double standard by the Democrats and the media in applying uh, their, 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 their views on these issues. Uh, again, I, I am like you on the insurrectionists. I, 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 that's, that's awful. Um, and I, I have a really hard time, I guess, with trying to understand that, but I do think it's, it's worth trying to figure out where they're coming from and, I mean, there was a, there was a good book written recently uh, proposing to do just that. The author said, sit down and at least listen to what they're saying. Wipe your mind clean. Not to try to turn you over to it. I don't think that's the point, but to try to understand it a little bit. Uh, we live in a time in our country where it's things are pretty precarious. 
And if we don't start at least sitting down and listening, um, you know, we, we've got to at least take that first step to try to figure out where people are coming from. And I guess the thing to try to keep in mind is they look at the other side and kind of see the same thing. It's a terrible mistake just to, to dismiss them. A lot of my, you know, liberal Democratic colleagues don't think we ought to spend any time or any energy doing that. Oh, boy, I think that's just a huge mistake. And I got an education <laughs> unintentionally. My my daughter went to college in what's commonly referred to as pencil tucky. Uh, James Carville described that Keystone State as Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, and Alabama. She went to Gettysburg College in, uh, in, in that region, and it was clearly Trump country. And I was there, and I was trying to figure it out and just get a sense of what was going on. And I got the feeling, like, why, why was that such solid Trump country? And I think, A, it's partially because the Democrats did look down their noses and were elitist and looked down at them. Terrible mistake. And I think people voted not so much for Trump, but against that, that uh, being looked down on. But I think they feel like they've worked hard, played by the rules, but they're not getting ahead. They're just not getting ahead. How have Democrats unintentionally fed that feeling? What, what have they done to push white working people like that toward Trumpism? Well, I think there's a perception that I heard uh, over and over again. Uh, I've seen it not only in, in polling and focus groups of Trump voters, but I also heard it from these Democrats at the doors that people feel like the Democratic Party uh, is more in favor of rewarding those who don't work than those who do. Uh, mm. And again, work is a value. Uh, people see work as essential to their identities and their lives. Mm -hmm. And especially men uh, who lost jobs uh, due to trade and other factors, you can draw a straight line between that and the deaths of despair that was talked about in, in the book recently. Um, with with the uh, opioid epidemic and problems we've had, um, there's a lot here to unpack, and I, I you know I want to be careful in it uh, and and not not I, I guess make it sound like the Democrats are to blame for all this, but there, we do get perceived as being uh, I think a party that cares more about people that aren't working than those that do. Now here's here's something. I will say that I'm still scratching my head about in this last cycle. Mm -hmm. I feel like the Democrats passed three very, very significant pieces of legislation. Uh, and and I, I've heard this. I can't take credit for it, but it's it's called one of the names was Marshall Plan for the Midwest. Uh -huh. uh, the, the Infrastructure Bill, the Inflation Reduction Act and the CHIPS Act. These three bills, uh, I think, have a, have a, a, the potential to significantly change our economy in a way that the Democrats have been wanting to do for years. Yeah. The thing that puzzles me is I didn't hear about this at all. Uh, I'm in the middle of three competitive congressional districts, and all the Democrats talked about was democracy, which is important, and abortion, which is important. But for the audience out here, if we're ever going to win, and the Republicans won two of the three districts, I was waiting to hear, you know what, inflation is bad, and here's what we're going to do about it. We just passed three bills. Uh, we're going to uh, the infrastructure, alternate energy, uh, and, and the CHIPS Act. We're bringing back uh, our manufacturing base. I didn't hear anything about it. 
Um, I think it was a huge missed opportunity. And I think every day that goes by that they don't message on it is a huge missed opportunity. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. And there's so much out there. I, I My car was dreadfully low in gas this morning. I got some gas. It's a heck of a lot cheaper than it was. You think the Democrats and Biden are getting any credit for that? And I heard also heard on the radio today that uh, uh, the the uh, uh, Biden uh, Act, the uh, Infrastructure Act, is creating like fifteen hundred jobs in Central Georgia. Now, mm-hmm. wh- wh- you know they're making uh, uh, photovoltaic panels. What? Uh, how? How is it that the Democrats voters aren't crediting Democrats? with these policy achievements. I mean, it's true. Biden is not the same kind of bombastic, uh, can I say schmuck? I suppose. Uh, not enough people know what it means. But uh, that uh, uh, Trump was. But he's doing things that really help the economy. And yet voters aren't crediting Democrats with, this poly, with these poly, policy achie- uh, achievements. How can... How can such somehow issues be brought into the coffee table or dinner conversations? How can the Democrats start to get credit for that? Maybe Biden's just too quiet about it. You got thoughts on that? I do. You know what? Uh, uh, Here's my advice. Uh, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't have a magic solution to it. But you know who I'd ask? If I was Joe Biden, I would ask some of these state legislators, the people closest. Congress, I don't know. Uh, the problem, too, with the Democratic Party is a lot of the candidates are hostage to these consultants who come in and have yeah. really hurt uh, campaigns. And I, 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 some of them are my friends, and there are some good ones out there, but um, poll-tested messaging and all. Um, if I was Biden, I'd get some of these people that I'm talking about, the Jeff Smiths, the Garen Camilleri's, Lance Yednox in Illinois, and put them out this summer and have them talk to people and listen. And how are people talking about this and test some things and, and, and listen to what voters are actually saying and talk to voters about it and see what their thought is on it. Um, don't do a poll. Don't hire this, the New York consultant to come up with a slick slogan. Bill Back Better was terrible. Who talks like that? Oh, my God. I know. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, um, I, th- that's the way I would do it. I mean, again, I can't, I don't have the answer. I'm not, right. not going to sit here and tell you I got the answer, but I know who's got the, I, I know who can get it. And it's not the folks out in the beltway. It's the folks out here knocking doors uh, all year. Just listening to them. For those who have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guest today is Robin Johnson, uh, political governmental relations consultant, uh, served as alderman, in Monmouth, Illinois, and you deserve a lot of credit for that, for sure. People don't have any idea how difficult that is. Read an article in uh, Washington Monthly, and really important stuff, talks about a lot of state reps and state senators who, what they have in common, you know, it, it, Democrats in red districts, they, they, they get, people get to know them Personally, they're not stuck, you know, people don't stop at the brand. Oh, he's a Democrat, communist, you know, abortionist, whatever. They actually get to know them. One thing I wanted to make sure to ask, there's an upcoming election, which could be very interesting. If there's a redder state than Kentucky, I don't know it. I mean, maybe Oklahoma now. But Donald Trump whipped Biden by 26 points in that state, 26-point margin. This year, 
2023, the Democratic governor, Andy Bashir, is up for re-election. Democratic governor. The primary is in May. It's far from a sure thing, but he's in decent shape. Uh, what factors contributed to his being, do you think, what, what, the most popular Democratic governor in the state? What are the things that Bashir has boosted his popularity? What do you think his, his chances are? And even uh, talk about that, please. Yeah, I think I think governors like Bashir and then Roy Cooper in North Carolina uh-huh. uh, is a Democrat uh, and it's a more competitive state are, are ones really interesting to look at on how to win in those areas. I mean, I was going to mention earlier um, that, you know, our party, we think about it, the Republican Party from from the far right to the middle isn't that long of a line. We've got between Bernie Sanders and Joe Manchin. Yeah. And a lot of my friends on the left just can't stand Joe Manchin. Well, he was the 50th vote for a while. And I looked at, uh, I talked to some West Virginia state legislators, and it's a miracle Joe Manchin wins West Virginia. Uh-huh. Uh, but thank God he does, yes. because that was our 50th vote. Uh, and if people in our party can't handle that, well, I'm sorry, then you're not interested in winning. Yes. And until you can elect more people in other states, we've got to have the Joe Manchins, the Christian Cinemas. And so I, I guess I apply that to the state like Kentucky. I, I think Andy Bashir has governed as a moderate. I think he ran as a moderate. You're not going to get elected in a state like Kentucky as a far-left progressive. That's it. And I think people like AOC and all uh, need to understand that. They need. I think they've shown no understanding of what it takes to win in other districts. This is this is a casualty of gerrymandering, to be honest. That we draw these districts so heavily Democratic, they don't know what it's like to have to go out and compete for votes. Andy Bashir had to win Republican votes to win. There's no other way he could do it. So he's governed as a moderate. Uh, I think he's tried to take on issues where he could get agreement and govern in a bipartisan way. Uh, and I think he's shown leadership. He seems to have a, a, a great sense of the voters of Kentucky and what they're looking mm-hmm. for. And he hasn't ventured too far outside of that and taken on an agenda that he knows won't sell there. I think those are all things that most people can learn and understand from. I mean, when, when I ran for city council, I mean, I mean I'm not going to compare that to Kentucky. But as, as somebody, it was a nonpartisan race, but most people knew my politics. I wouldn't have won if I didn't get Republican votes. Right. Well, where does that get you? I mean, again, if you don't, if it's not about winning, what are we doing? Absolutely. Um, oh, I got it. So I feel like Bashir is a very interesting guy to watch. Uh, I don't think it's unheard of that if we really want, if Biden doesn't run, if we really want to win, we should be looking at people that can win areas like this. Um what are they doing to win over the voters we're going to need to win? Uh, I'm not saying he should be our nominee, right. but I'm saying there's something there we can all learn from. And winning is, just to emphasize it once again, it's the only thing. you got to win. you got to win. Purity, as someone said, is poison. What applies in AOC's district ain't going to fit to Kentucky. It's just plain right. nut. Uh, one size does not fit all. But and, and again, it's about listening and connecting with people. And I just, let me, I just want to ask one final question. Are you sure. more or less optimistic now as we begin the 2024 election cycle? A heck of a lot's gone on with that mess in Congress and all. But what, what's your sense of optimism for what we're talking about? I guess I, I, it's, it's a mix. 
Um, I, I do think that the Democrats passed some very significant legislation, and if, if they can get their act together and, and talk about this in a way that people can understand, uh, I think I think that, that looks very promising to me. But I do see evidence that a lot of people uh, don't understand the true lessons of the most recent elections as well. Um, we uh, The Democrats can't depend on the Republicans nominating bad candidates forever. Um <laughs> And the Democrats would have would have lost uh, Pennsylvania uh, and other people may just dis, may disagree with me. That's fine. States like Pennsylvania, uh, I think uh, if the Republicans would have dominated the moderate candidate, I, I think it would have been a lot tougher right. to win. Right. Uh, New Hampshire. I think there's several states like that. Yeah. Um, and if the strategy is, well, we'll just pray for the Republicans to self-destruct. Uh, that, God, that's right. not that's not a very good strategy. Uh, I, so, um, my long-term hope, honestly, uh, and it plays along directly with the, the title of your show. I really feel if Democrats get their act together and invest in smartly in these rural areas and listen to these local folks, um, it'll not only help the party, it'll help our democracy. It's an old fashioned thing. Go knock doors, meet your vote, meet, meet your neighbors, establish a relationship, Make it seem like uh, a Democrat isn't somebody, um, you, you know, one guy I know up in northeastern Ohio uh, got into a conversation at the door and and described himself as a Christian. And the woman said, I didn't know Democrats were Christians. Oh I mean, that's how out of touch people have gotten with with our with, with who Democrats really are. And so long term, this could be very hopeful, not only for the party. Uh, but for our democracy in doing some old fashioned hard work, it does, it's not that expensive. Go buy a good, yeah, really. buy a good pair of shoes, uh, <laughs> and knock doors. And, and I think that can provide the foundation for a lot of good things in the future. So if that happens and I, I don't know, I mean, I got to tell you, I came across a lot of organizations, these third party groups, well-intentioned, um, that are trying to, they say they're trying to help Democrats in rural areas. All they do is run polls which to me are a waste of money. Mm. Uh, and they try to come up with pithy messaging. And again, if you've got to do a poll to get a message, you're not knocking enough doors. Uh, if they really found a third party group that really invested smartly um, in training people locally and investing in some media and some radio and newspaper, uh, things like that, uh, even billboards in off years, that's not as expensive as TV ads. Uh, it can happen. I really believe that. Uh, so I'm not seeing evidence of that. So I hope it comes along. But so I, it, t to me, there's a, to answer your question, there's a mixture of optimism uh -huh. and pessimism. I still think there's a tendency to not want to to not want to accept reality in these rural areas. Oh, gosh, uh, I would rather win. It's better to win. It really is, people. If you want to read more of the article, fascinating article, lots of different case studies in here. WashingtonMonthly.com has the article. Thank you so much for being with us today, Robin Johnson. I really appreciate it. Good stuff. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Well, there's just a little bit of magic in the country music we're singing. We're bringing you back down home where the folks are happy. Sitting, picking at a grin and casually, you and me will pick up the pieces. Ah, if you enjoyed that discussion, don't miss a single show. Subscribe. It's all free. iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and of course the website, keepingdemocracyalive.com. Thank you.